Uh, we started a new sermon series last week on this book of Revelation, and if you were not here with us, or if you're like me and you just forget sometimes, a little review in Revelation chapter 1, uh, we saw a vision of the risen Christ, and uh, Jesus appeared to the apostle John uh, and asked him to communicate with the churches what he saw. And we talked about how seeing Jesus for who he really is empowers us as the people of God to endure the things we endure in this world. And at the end of Revelation chapter 1, the seven lampstands in the vision are identified as the seven churches. And so we answered that question, where is Jesus in all this that we face Uh, We saw the answer in the text was Jesus is with his people. He's in the midst of the lampstands. He's in in the midst of the churches that Jesus is with us. So we pick up today in Revelation chapter 2. And in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, Jesus gives letters to John to give to these seven churches. And so if Jesus is among his people, if he's among the churches, he's among the lampstands, then he sees and he knows what's going on. And so we'll see a pattern. For each one of these churches, Jesus has some things that he will praise about each church. Jesus will have a problem with each of these churches, and then he will give a plan for those churches. Now, I want you to think about that. If you live life in the church, which we do, if you're the head of a church, which I am uh, the the senior pastor, the lead pastor here, if we're a leader in the church, this is really valuable information, right? Because everybody has ideas about what they think the church should be. But here we have Jesus telling the church what Jesus thinks of the church, And what Jesus thinks the church should be. So this is really valuable information. Even though this is not written directly to our church, we get to overhear Jesus saying what he likes about the church and praising things that are good about the church so that we can emulate those things. We also get to hear Jesus' problem that he has with different churches so that we can avoid those things. And then we hear the plan that Jesus prescribes for these churches. So this is very valuable information for us as we come to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is a letter to the church at Ephesus. So hear now God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for preserving these thoughts of Jesus about his church. I pray that you would help us to hear those things that he finds valuable. I pray that you would help us to hear those things that, that should not be a part of the church. And I pray that you would use these words to shape us and mold us as your people in this place, in the Shoals area. That we would be a church that is what you have called us to be. And I pray that you'd be willing to do all of this, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we come to the scripture, I don't know what you think about the church. Most people have some ideas because you frequently share them with me. And I love hearing about that. And I want to hear your ideas about the church. I know some people have had a bad experience with the church, and so it may be hard for you to hear this talk. It's not really what you want to talk about. You just want to talk about, hey, I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. I hear a lot of people say that these days. But I want you to know, Jesus is so honest here, and the Bible is so honest that the church is not always what it is supposed to be. And I want you to know here at Redeemer Church, it is our strong desire, it is our aspiration, our leadership is working hard to be the kind of church that Jesus would commend and to avoid the things that Jesus calls us to avoid. So I hope you'll listen with that in mind as we come to the scripture this morning and we hear what Jesus thinks about the church. First, let's talk about the praise Jesus has for this church at Ephesus. Let's talk about he praises a lot of things about them. The, the praise Jesus has for the church here at Ephesus. Now, if you're not familiar with Ephesus, we often think these, these cities 2,000 years ago are small and backward. You need to know the city of Ephesus was a thriving metropolis. Uh, the city of Ephesus had about 250,000 people at this point in time. It was a business center. It was on a trade route between Rome and Asia to the east. And, and so there was a lot of money, a lot of merchandise that passed through the city of Ephesus. There were banks that had large reserves. There were a lot of rich people in Ephesus and a lot of resources there. Not only was it a business center, it was also a cultural center. They had a 24,000-seat amphitheater, which still stands to this day. You can see it. We got to see it last summer. It's amazing. It's impressive what they did there in Ephesus. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there in Ephesus, the temple to Artemis. It was the size of two football fields, and it had 100 marble columns, each standing 55 feet high. This was an impressive place. And this church at Ephesus was an impressive church. Think about the, the resume of this church. Think about the pedigree that this church had. Planted by the Apostle Paul. Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus, longer than he spent anywhere else in his ministry, perhaps because he saw the strategic importance of the city of Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla were there. Apollos were there. When Paul leaves, he gets his right-hand man, Timothy, to come and to be the pastor there at the church in Ephesus. In fact, when we were going through 2 Timothy this past uh, the last winter, 
We saw that Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. When Timothy is the pastor there of the church in Ephesus, Paul writes 1st and 2nd Timothy to Timothy in Ephesus. So Timothy was a pastor of the church, and we heard last week that church history tells us that Timothy was killed preaching the gospel, uh, that he was stoned, beaten to death. I would imagine it may be hard to get a pastor after your last pastor just got stoned and beaten to death, right? That would be a difficult thing. Well, church history tells us the next pastor of their church was the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend, owner, Jesus' BFF, comes and is their third pastor. And you'll never guess who he brought with him to the church in Ephesus. Do you know? Remember the story, Jesus is on the cross, and he says, Woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. The apostle John took care of Mary. And so Mary went with John to the church at Ephesus. Now, I just have... What was the Christmas Eve service like in a church where Mary was a member, right? You've got questions about what the nativity scene is supposed to look like. Did the children get the Christmas story? Go ask that lady sitting right over there. She was there, right? Just an amazing church with all these resources and all these people, a model church, and Jesus has a lot of praise for them. I see first there in verse 2, Jesus praises the church for its hard work. Do you see that in verse 2? Jesus says, I know your work. And then he emphasizes your toil. If you have the NIV, it says, I know your hard work. You see, this is a church that was not just full of consumers, not just full of people who were saying, hey, what is in this for me? I want to come here to get what I can get. This was a group of people who worked hard to do church the right way. They worked hard and did the hard work that it takes to do church well, and Jesus appreciated the hard work that they did. We talked about this at staff morning. Coming off the first week that we had two services and all the new programs, we were able to look at Revelation 2 together and just say, hey, listen, Jesus sees your hard work that you do in the church, and he commends that. And that is something that is so exciting for us to know and to realize. But if this is something Jesus values, I wonder, are we willing to do the hard work it takes to do church well? You see, many times when I meet with people and they want to know about our church, the first question I often get, one of the first ones is, you know, what do you have for me? What do you have for my kids? What do you have as far as this goes? What do you offer for us? And that's an important question. You should ask that when you're looking for a church. But equally as important is the question of how can I serve the church? What can I do? What can I give to the church? Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12 that the people of God are given gifts and abilities for the building up of the church. That the gifts and abilities we have are not for us, but they're for the people of God. And so it's important for us to think about what gifts and abilities do we have. At our church, we are entering a season. If you were at Redeemer 101 last week, you heard this, and you're going to hear it more. But we're entering a season where it's our desire as a leadership that we want every member of our church to find at least one time a week that you are poured into, that you do receive, that you are built up in the faith that you are equipped for the work of ministry. We want every member at least once a week to receive in that way. 
But we also want every member at least one time a week to be pouring themselves out for the church in some way at least once per week. If you're a member, you've actually taken a vow to support the church in its worship and work. And so you may be thinking, hey, I want to I do that. What opportunities do I have here to support the church in its worship and work? Well, if you were at Redeemer 101 last week, you saw a list that we presented and asked you to be thinking and praying about that. If you weren't here, you can always go to our website, theredeemershoals.com slash redeemer101. That class that was live streamed, you can watch it in its entirety. It's a little less than an hour. It also has a PDF where you can go and look at a menu of things, of options that you have in order to serve the church well. We would ask if you're a member here to be looking at that. To be considering that. And as we get to class five and walking your path that I'll talk about, I mean, you'll have an opportunity to sign up to serve the church in that way. Jesus commends hard work in the church. And so we want to be a church, a group of people who works hard at the things that God calls us to do. Jesus has other praise. What else does Jesus praise this church at Ephesus for? Well, he also praises them for their endurance. Do you see it there in verses 2 and 3? Jesus says, I know your hard work, your toil, your patient endurance. And then in verse 3, he clarifies. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. What is this church enduring? What are they patiently enduring? Well, we already talked about Timothy. Their second pastor was killed, so there's some persecution going on. John, who is their third pastor, is currently exiled on the island of Patmos. He's been sent into exile for his testimony about the Lord Jesus. So this was not a culture. This was not a setting where it was easy to be the church. If you were engaged in business, you were selling things. Some people may not buy your stuff because they didn't want to support someone who said Christ was Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. So some people may not buy things that you're selling. If you wanted to go and purchase something, some people may not sell to you because you are a Christian. Think about the, the social. This is a social and a cultural center. It, it, would, it would be difficult culturally or socially. I mean, people would say, I'm not sure I want to hang out with them. Their, their second pastor was killed, and their third one got sent off into exile. These are not people you really want to be around. They're sort of seen as enemies of the state. And yet, in this context, these folks have endured. I wonder, what kinds of things are we called to endure? Praise the Lord, it is not anything like what these folks were being called to persevere, right? We're not physically being beaten. We're not physically being thrown in jail. That is not something that is currently happening in our context. We're really not hurt business-wise. I mean, I see some ads that people put a little fish on there because they think being a Christian will actually help them in their business rather than hurt them. And people running for office, I see the ads in these local elections, and people advertise where they are a member in church because that actually helps you with people. And so we don't face, those are not things that we have to endure. What do we have to endure? I feel the things that you feel. You go into a coffee shop and you think, hey, am I going to read my Bible in here? I've got a few minutes. I don't know if I want to get out this big black Bible in front of everybody. 
I'll just kind of read the Bible on my phone. I don't want people to think I'm weird. Maybe praying in public. Or here's one that I think is a big one for us. Sharing our faith. Talking about Jesus. Many times we are afraid to share our faith and to talk about what it is we believe, to invite people into a relationship with Christ because we're worried about what they may think about us. Will they think that, we're, that we think we're real spiritual and righteous? Will, will they run from us? There could be social ramifications of sharing our faith. Oh, my. We face much less than what this church endured Yet even the little opposition we face, we are very hesitant to have to endure in any way at all. It's something that Jesus calls and commends his church to do. He praises them for something else, though. Do you see here the praise Jesus has for the church at Ephesus? He praises them in their standing for truth. You see that in the rest of verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and... How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found to be false. This is a church that would stand for what is true. And when there were people proclaiming a false message, they were willing to say, hey, that, that is wrong. That is a lie. That is not the way things are. And Jesus commends this church to stand standing for truth in the context in which they found themselves. Is that something we do as a church? We should think about that, right? We talk that we don't have a lot of pressure, but it is a little strange. You know, a lot of people, they don't mind if you're a Christian, but if you begin to say Jesus is the only way to be saved, people don't like that. Yet we must stand for that kind of a truth in our culture. Also in our culture, we live in a day when everyone is defined, and the pressure is to define people by their race, by their class, by their gender, by their sexual preference. And we define one another and really divide one another in that way. That's the culture in which we live. And it is so important for us as Christians to say that human beings are not defined primarily by the color of their skin or the amount of money in their bank account or by their, even their sexual preferences or the gender that folks say that you can choose. It's important for us as Christians to say we're not defined in relation to one another. We're defined based on our relationship with God. And all people, regardless of where they fall in those categories, are made in the image of God. That is something we all have in common. That all people are fallen and sinful. That we have all been sinned against and are broken and messed up in ways because of that. And we all commit sin and are bent by sin because of the effects of the fall. We have to be willing to say in a culture, because that is true, all people, men and women, black and white, rich and poor, all people, are in need of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our lives and to transform us and to change us so we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who loved himself and gave himself for us. And as Christians, we must call for a day, to look forward to that day 
To have people look forward to that day when people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group gather around the throne as people made in the image of God and saved by his grace, praising them for all time. We must stand for this truth in a culture that often does not want to think in these terms. Jesus has much praise for the church at Ephesus. It was a model church in their hard work and their patient endurance and their standing for the truth. Yet, Jesus had a problem with the church at Ephesus. What's the problem Jesus has with this church at Ephesus? Now, you need to know that other churches that might be reading this letter are probably surprised. See, Ephesus is kind of the church. That's where you sent your leaders to go see what are they doing in Ephesus so we can do it like that, right? So if Jesus has a problem with them, whoa, we're in trouble because we're not even up to where they are, right? But Jesus has a problem with this church at Ephesus. What is it? You see it there in verse 4. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Hmm. What is it that Jesus is saying here? Evidently, they were doing all these things right. They were standing for truth. They were working hard. They were patiently enduring. But there's some problem that he has in their relationship with him. He says that they have abandoned the love that we had at first. Now hear that. Evidently to Jesus, working hard, doing good things, standing for truth and patiently enduring in the culture, that those things are not enough. That there's something more, there's something more fundamental, there's something more foundational to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says it's a deal breaker at the end of this, right down in verse 5. He says, if you, if you don't change, if our relationship doesn't improve, then I will remove the lampstand. You will cease to be a church in this place. So there is something foundational that Jesus is calling his people to. What is it? He says, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want a relationship with my people. An ongoing relationship. This is a theme throughout the scripture. I think of Eden, when the man and the woman have fellowship with God and they walk face to face with God in the cool of the day. And then their sin separates them from God. But that theme continues on in the scripture as, as, as God uses the theme sometimes of marriage, of a husband and a wife, and, and calls the church his wayward wife. You can read about it in places like Jeremiah 2, Ezra chapter 16, the whole book of Hosea. You see it in the New Testament as well, Ephesians 5. The church is called Jesus' bride, who he gives himself for. Even this book of Revelation, later in the book, we will be called the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb, as we have a wedding supper to celebrate Christ being joined to his bride, the church. Now, for some of us, especially guys, they have a real problem with that. I, I have to be a bride of Christ. That's really hard for me to get my arms around. Listen, it's, it's an image God's saying he wants to have a close relationship with you, like marriage. There are other images, right? Sheep and shepherd. We don't think in those terms much, but for these folks, they knew the shepherd was with the sheep all the time. 
The sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd to provide for them, to take them where they would find things to eat or they would starve, to protect them from people, from, from, from predators. And so when Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, that's another call to relationship with God. It's just another picture of what the relationship is like. If that one's hard for you, here's another one. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, we'll look at Matthew chapter 6 tonight. He says, you can say, our Father who art in heaven. People lost their minds that you could call God your Father, that Jesus taught people to do that. Again, it's a picture of the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. You were far away, but I've adopted you as my children. I brought you into my household. I provide for you. Everything that I have is yours. You have an inheritance because you've been brought into relationship with God. All these are images of the relationship, the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. And Jesus is saying we had that kind of relationship at one time, but it's gone. Maybe you had a relationship with Christ like that at one time. Do you remember back when you first became a Christian? When you first became aware of your sin, you're like, oh my gosh, I do stuff wrong all the time. I didn't realize it was this bad. I realize I've done this my whole life. And I see that God is holy, 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 that I deserve his punishment. That I deserve death for my sin, yet Jesus, God loved me so much, he was willing to give his own son. Jesus was willing to give his life for me, and we're just blown away by that. We see his grace and his mercy for the first time, and we're so grateful. We want to spend time in worship. We want to spend time in the word. We want to spend time in prayer. We want to spend time serving him because we're so grateful, because we see his love for us when we don't deserve it. Maybe you felt that before. You were more quick to speak of him. You were more bold in sharing your faith. Maybe you felt it renewed after a conference in the mountains or a time, a conference at the beach or a summer beach project. Maybe you felt that. And the text is showing us that that relationship can fade, that it happens in marriages, it happens in friendships, it happens in the life of disciples. They had abandoned the love they first had for Jesus, that admiration, that awe that we sang about today. The closeness of the relationship was gone. Now you may be thinking to yourself, what is this relationship supposed to look like? I understand marriage to some extent. I understand father, child, shepherd, and sheep a little more form, but I'm getting the concept. What is this supposed to look like to have a relationship with Jesus? Listen, this is so foundational. This is so important that our leadership has come up with a series of six classes to teach this to our church. The first class begins tonight at 6 o'clock. We want you to be here. The class is called Walking Your Path. And if you've been here before, you've heard that path. It's an anacronym, right? It means something that, that you're to pray and be in the Word every day. And so tonight we're going to talk about prayer. Next week, Cody's going to talk about the Word and what it looks like to do that. The A is attend on Sunday, the importance of worship. James uh, Thigpen's going to talk about that in, in a future class. 
the T, take time to be in some kind of a small group that we grow in that context and how God uses that to grow our love for him and, and to allow us to, to learn the one another's of Scripture. Jeremy Terry is going to talk about that in a few weeks. The H, have a personal ministry that we are going to serve the church in some way. Mark Williams will talk about that in a few weeks. If you can't be there for any of the classes, it'll also be streamed live, redeemershoals.com slash walking your path. Listen, I hesitated to say that, that we have a class and we're live streaming it, because it sounds like a commercial, you know? If I'm sitting there, I'm saying, okay, he's got a bunch of new programs, and he just wants us to come. He wants us to be there. And because it's COVID, not everybody's going to come, so they're live streaming. That's what this is about. Listen, I want you to understand that is not what this is about. What this is about is during the quarantine, our leadership said, we want to use this time wisely. And we thought and we prayed and we read, what does this church need? What does the flock need? To be good leaders, what do we need? You know, I can't give you a relationship with Jesus. I can't maintain your relationship with Jesus. But as far as it depends on us as a leadership, we want to be very clear about here is how you have a relationship. Here are practical steps you can take. Here's what it looks like. We want to give you everything you need in order to either have or maintain a relationship with Jesus. And that's why we're having the classes. Because if we don't get this right, we don't get anything right in the church. Jesus says you can work hard, you can stand for truth, you can endure hardship, but if you don't have a relationship with me, Matthew 7 says on the last day he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. We got to get this part. This is vital. Everything flows from this. That's why I want you to be here tonight. That's why our leadership wants you to be here tonight, because this is so important. How do we get there? What does it look like? Let's close with the plan Jesus has for the church at Ephesus. You see it there in verse 5. What does Jesus say in verse 5? He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus says we're to remember. If you are a follower of Jesus... Maybe today you are remembering, that's the first step, to remember there was a time that I did love spending time with him. There was a time I had to, to set an alarm for how long I was going to pray because I got lost in that time. There was a time you loved worship, and the first step is to remember and be honest about the fact that that's not where you are right now. That's okay to say that. Jesus says, in fact, that is the first step. Say, you know, I was here in my relationship with Jesus, and now I'm here in my relationship with Jesus. Let's just be honest about that. And for some of us, if we're honest, I think we have to say, I don't think I've ever had a relationship with Jesus like that. It's never been, it was never like, like in the call to worship where the psalmist is, is, is crying out to God. Saying, I thirst for you, I long for you, like somebody who's in a desert that doesn't have water. But I can't live without you. I can't be away from you. And we see people, maybe you feel like I've never had a relationship like that. Where do you start? It starts with seeing his love for you. And then it's natural for you to love him back. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, "What We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Get in the word. 
Look for how God loves you. The second thing Jesus says to repent, to change your direction. Repentance, we used to talk about with our girls, I would use a stuffed animal and just say it means you're going in this direction, and then you turn and you go in the other direction. For my drivers, it's a U-turn, right? We've done that before. It means that we change our focus from whatever it is we've been focused on to focusing more on our relationship with Jesus. It means we change our schedule so that we make time for him. It means we change our commitments, we change our habits and develop new ones. Jesus says something else. He says, and do the works you did at first. Now these people are people who had a, relationship, a closer relationship before and he's calling them back to do that again. That's the situation some of us are in. Some of us have never had that relationship with him. So he's not saying, go do what you did before. He's calling you into relationship with him. What does that mean, to do what you did before? Think about it in these images that God gives us. Think about a marriage. If there's a marriage that the two people are not as close as they were before, and we say, well, how did you first fall in love? What made y'all decide you wanted to get married? What made you think it was a good idea for y'all to live together, right? And a lot of times if folks can go back and remember those things, this is what I loved about him, this is what I loved about her, and they can begin to remember how things were like before. And then to go back and, and, and begin to do those things that we did before. We go back and we do those things. We make time for one another. We make an effort for one another. We make plans to spend time together. We make more of the other person and their needs than we make of our own needs. We make an effort to listen to what they have to say. We make an effort to share our own thoughts and our feelings that are in our heart. That's what we would do in a relationship. That's what Jesus calls us to do here. To make time. To make an effort. To talk to him in prayer. To hear him speak in the word come back and we want to teach you and show you how to do that because Jesus is calling you to have that kind of relationship with him. Like the church at Ephesus, our church has hard work to do and I hope that you'll be a part of that. We as a church do have some things to endure even in this culture. There are some hard truths that we're going to have to take stands for. But number one, First, above all, at the center, foundationally, we have a relationship to either begin for the first time or to maintain as people who jealously guard a relationship. Because without Jesus at the center of all we do, we do nothing of eternal value. Let's pray and ask him to help us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you that you call people like us into relationship with you. That enough should just call us to great awe. Because you are holy, 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 and we're, we're broken, yet you long for us, and you seek us, and you pursue us. And I just pray that that truth would break our hearts. That we would be drawn to you again, or drawn to you for the first time. And I pray that you would make this a church that, yes, works hard, and yes, endures, and yes, stands for truth, but most of all, we're known as people who love you and who love one another.
because you first loved us. Please come and make that true of us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.